Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. Welcome to the fourth and final part of my 2013 Security Leaders Panel. In this installment, we talk about incident response and how the changing threat landscape has impacted organizations' approach to incident response. We also talk about what's needed in the next generation of information security leaders. Our participants are Matthew Spear, Senior Vice President of Information Technology with M&T Bank, Christopher Padron, IT Security Compliance Officer with Peace Health Southwest Medical Center, and Elaine Starkey, CISO of the State of Delaware. We pick up at the beginning of our discussion about incident response. Whether it be from cyber criminals, from hacktivists, from insiders, we all have seen higher profile incidents that we've had to respond to. I'd like to hear how this changes your organizations. Christopher, I want to ask this first question of you. How has the changing threat landscape, and you talked a lot about this up front, how has it impacted your organization's approach to incident response? From a governance risk and compliance perspective, I don't think it's changed how we've approached because we have a fairly mature security program and a secure model and a robust and mature incident response plan, but we have had to rapidly address the additional elements that have fallen outside of our old model, um, our old risk and security posture. The deperimeterization I mentioned, the consumerization of IT, uh, the push from the various stakeholders and the drivers to to open up what used to be a, a, a well-defined space now is much broader, much more vulnerable, many more threat agents out there. So our focus has been on do what we do best. We take our unified compliance risk framework and we say, and we leverage it to say, here's the new mobile landscape, let's make sure we have all the controls in place to address it. Where we don't have controls, we say that's outside of our scope of service. We can't deliver that yet. We'll work on it, prioritize it, get to it. We have a robust uh, SIM solution, security event and incident management solution that gives us an eye in the sky to all devices, all traffic in our environments. Without that, we'd be operating blind. We'd be reactively doing risk analysis or assessments. Uh, we have a very strong, as I mentioned, established protocol with policies. We set expectations on what is possible, what's doable, and how we respond, as Matt had said, pretty severely. You know, the consequences for stepping outside of uh, accepted practice um, is very severe, and the and the HIPAA events that have happened over the last couple of years have shown that many of our peer organizations have zero or low tolerance for that kind of infraction. So we follow our incident um, response procedure very rigorously. We have engagement from human resources and other areas, and they all align with one vision in mind, and that is the secured access 
and availability of information, but to the right people at the right time, to the right degree. Elena, I'd love to hear from you as well. How has the changing threat landscape impacted your own organization's approach to incident response? We're we're a lot like where Chris is in terms of a a reasonably mature incident response program in place. We we believe that practice makes perfect. In that team, we run a large-scale simulation of a broad-scale cyber attack on our infrastructure. We do that every year. Uh, We've been doing it for eight consecutive years, and it's been a very good and useful way to validate the plan, to fine-tune the plan, Um, and, you know, it it continues to get refreshed every time we do that. Um, We do, you know, there's there's more, there's sophisticated threats out there that are coming out, and that's what drives the scenarios that are used in those exercises. Uh, We also run annual disaster recovery exercises. We simulate major interruptions on our primary data centers. And um, most recently, we've had good success in getting our state agency partners, other state organizations, beyond just the IT group where I sit to run COOP exercises and uh, help them understand, you know, it's not all about the technology. It's about resuming your critical business functions in the event of some type of disaster. So we've had some good luck in in helping them to practice what their response would be in situations like that. We also take advantage of a lot of partnerships with other governments and, and, and the private sector in terms of monitoring. The good news is we're not in this alone, right? So we don't all have to to implement our own uh, monitoring systems and things like that. We can take advantage of of the good work that's being done with our partners um, to kind of join forces against the threat. And Tom, certainly the way that we look at it, you know, I think we're very similar in that fortunately or unfortunately we have a pretty mature incident management response system that was forged out of the need to do so and continue to improve that every year and you know some of the the new challenges that we all face i think what it does is it gives you new enhanced scenarios to practice from hopefully not for real and but at the same time i think that every time you that you take something that you know you see occurring in the news and then walk through with the incident management team as to you know how would you respond given your you know our playbook of how we how we uh, typically respond to these actions, does it give us the opportunity to modify the approach and just be better at it? And Matt, what do you find to be the key skills that you need in your organization now to respond to security incidents? And I'm thinking in particular about the the way you need to reach out to customers, even to talk to them about some of the the DDoS threats that we've seen. I put it into two different buckets in that, one, you you need a, a high level of technical skill sets to be able to deal with the technical threat. And you want those that not only have a high technical skill set but can be methodical and be able to analyze a problem and then make informed decisions based upon that and do it within you know, the constraints of your change management process because you don't want them just going in and troubleshooting and modifying configurations, but at the same time, you don't want them to have to wait two days to come up with a solution. And then the other bucket would be the managerial. So it's how do you engage with the areas of your organization that are affected, be able to communicate both internally down to employees that are going to be 
the front line with customers and what they should be telling customers as well as you know up through senior management your corporate communications ultimately as we've seen when these things have been happening with FIs over the last six months that the media gets involved as well and so you want to have a media plan on how you're going to be able to describe what is occurring and make it in a manner that will make sense to your consumer base because you know, unfortunately, I think the, the one piece that has been missed is when the uh, media has been reporting on the denial of service, they leave it with that it is a, a attack against banks. And, well, certainly, I think in a broad sense you can say that, but attack is a very different con- connotation than the prevention of real consumers from being able to access bank systems. It's not that their accounts were compromised. However, they could certainly, from the media spin on that, come to that conclusion on their own. And so you want to be able to have a very robust message that can be presented to your customers. Elaine and Christopher, I'd ask the same of you. What are the skills that you find you increasingly need in your organization in terms of incident response? I think Matt covered it really well. I think uh, he's exactly right. You need the technical skills. You need the forensic skills to be able to kind of get to the bottom of, of the incident critical thinking skills, you know, some of our best technicians are the ones that are just generally suspicious and skeptical by nature, (laughs) and, um, you know, those are the ones that are are really valuable. Regarding the media and even just, um, you know, communicating what's going on to senior management, in my case, to the governor's office or to, um, you know, other leadership, the, the people skills are just more important than they've ever been before, and the ability to take what's going on and to understand it, understand the technical jargon in a way that you can then turn around and describe it in English to a non-technical person and cut through all of the technobabble. There's a real art to that, and and that's an especially critical skill. Beautifully said, and I concur completely with Matt and Elaine. Our moniker, our label for the skill set that we're looking for is a fully engaged knowledge worker. And that means that they've got a high degree of mindfulness, attentiveness, that they have that ubiquitous, excellent communication skills, demonstrated excellent communication skills. It's really, really hard to learn those on the job when your job is stressful. You need to come with that capacity, uh, the capabilities. So the engagement means that our our ideal candidates and our future colleagues are going to be results and detail-oriented, but not in a, a general sense. We want them to add value as the highest priority so that every day they come in and they contribute. Yeah, final question for each of you. And Christopher, I'll toss this to you first. If you could offer advice, what would be the single biggest piece of advice you would offer the next generation of information security leaders? That would be to network with peers and find a mentor to learn best practices. There's no reason in our highly sophisticated security-oriented domain to reinvent wheels. We need to go to the mentors, to the knowledge stores, 
to those organizations that have done it a hundred or a thousand times before us. We need to find and adopt best practices. And I found that through networking online, through lo local security and compliance and auditing groups, that that networking is the fastest way to bring the community of security providers together and share what works and doesn't work because you only want to do what works. So the other than networking with peers for best practices, I would say, in the words of Henry David Thoreau, simplify, simplify, simplify. Because given the complexities of the challenges we face, you've got to get things down to a level where you get things done and not get lost in the mire of what could be done. Elaine, I don't, didn't intend to do this to you, but I'm going to ask you to follow up on Henry David Thoreau. It's an exciting time for the next generation, for sure. It's, it's exciting for us, <laughs> uh, but it's even more exciting when you kind of look ahead. I, my advice would be just get diff lots of different kinds of, an exper of experience. It's not just a don't narrow yourself just to kind of telecom kind of experience or just just become a programmer, but try to kind of lift up and get good at each of those, but try to pull up and, and broaden yourself with different kinds of different kinds of jobs and different types of responsibilities. A former employer of mine used to call it getting your ticket punched in different, they encourage people to not stay in one business unit too long, but to you know, keep an eye out for different opportunities in different areas, and and some of them might be a stretch in terms based on current skills, but it, in the long run, it kind of gives you a more holistic view. I think that training and and formal education and certifications and all of that are are really important, but so is uh, hands-on in the trenches type of experience. And as I mentioned before, I think that people skills are have never been more important than ever for for technical folks especially. I think there was a time when early in my career that people could get by with just simply strong technical skills and they may have absolutely no social skills at all or they, you know, kind of hid in the corner of a an office or a data center and did their thing and did great work. But I think those days are gone. I think the ability to to uh, communicate and work on teams and work together and be able to communicate technology, technical things in, in plain English has never been more important. And Matt, I'll give you the last words here. Your advice for the next generation of leaders? Well, I think that both Elaine and Chris's ideas and recommendations are very good. The one that I would add is that it is imperative for any information security professional to understand the business processes that they are supporting because what you find is that the vulnerabilities gaps that allow for there to be you know fraudulent attempts against uh, different types of uh, business transactions are due to the gaps in the way that we have engineered processes and there's vulnerabilities that are just as important to identify as any technology implementation that you would do. And so understand the business that you're supporting because that's where you can have uh, one of the greatest gains in this space. Very good. That does bring us to the end of our 2013 Security Leaders Panel. I want to thank each of our participants, Matthew Spear with M&T Bank, Christopher Padron with PeaceHealth Southwest Medical Center, and Elaine Starkey with the State of Delaware. Folks, thank you so much for your time and insights today.
Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Tom.